garden and uh, beguiles Eve and then Eve turns and gives to her husband. He eats. And then from that moment, not did only did their life change, but the entire world and all of human history has changed forever. And we're going to look a little bit about that tonight. But I want us to see the importance of studying this. I, I want you to know, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, preaching about sin is not fun, right? It, it's not easy. It's not fun because we know that we don't like it, right? I don't like it. I, I hear many a times, my toes hurt, right, at the back door, and, and we kind of shake hands and, and laugh about it. And it I, I, trust me, if your toes hurt, my, my shins are, are bruised, right? I, I've, I've been kicked around already, so trust me um, on this. We, we see that sin is overwhelming at times. We see the results of sin. We see the fruit of sin in, in death and discouragement in, in the daily life of which we live. We find our continued need of repentance, which repentance is not just that need at salvation, but it is a continued life of continuously turning from our sin and turning back to this, uh, this God who has saved us and has sealed us and draws us daily unto Himself so that we might have fellowship with Him. But it is that same sin that we're going to talk about tonight that then ruins that fellowship and ruins everything, and not just in the life of Adam and Eve, but throughout all of humanity. So let's begin tonight by reading verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to be looking at the first question tonight, which is question number C. Are we born sinners and why? But uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 tells us this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. This is watching the world change, and it, it changed forever. The world is not getting better. Evolution, in the theory of it, it, really, and I would say it goes beyond a theory. Evolution is not taught as a theory to our students anymore. It's not even taught as just fact. It's taught as a religion, and it, it, it very much is. It, is. it is a spiritual warfare taking place, but it is taught that w things are progressively going to get better. Well, let me ask you all. Do things get better? <laughs> no, right? They, they don't. There's more aches and bumps and pains and doctor's visits and everything else. Not to mention, we look at the world around us, and even the, the scientists look and say, things aren't getting better, but, so why not? Right? The very reason why things are not getting better is because of verse number 6. And no, it is not that because she ate, it is because he ate. So the question tonight, are we born sinners and why? We have to look back at this verse, this passage and see the importance of sin. And first of all, clearly, all right, let's look at this. The Bible clearly teaches that all are born with a sinful nature, dead in sins and trespasses, and have had the sin of Adam imputed to us. 
There is not a single soul that has ever been born other than the Lord Jesus Christ who is not born of the sin nature. You say, why was he not born of the sin nature? Because he is God. He always has been. He always will be. He was God in the flesh, born of a virgin, prophesied centuries and centuries beforehand. He was the fulfillment of all these things. He would go and not just live a sinless and perfect life fulfilling the law, but he would be tempted. And you would say, would that get him to sin? I, I do not believe that Jesus could sin, but it was rather to show that he would not sin. That he could not sin, excuse me. Uh, it was not just that, that it was a, I don't believe it was a possibility for Jesus to sin because he is God, but in the flesh, he went through a temptation to show that he understands what we have gone through. He has borne the wrath and the weight of our sin. The one who did not know sin became sin. Sin is serious to God. It has been from the very beginning and it will be to the very end. I believe perhaps one of the greatest issues, though, in our day, whether regardless of what circle you run in, sin and understanding sin and understanding who God is is of the most vital of importance. The, the vast majority of the world today, not just secular, but as well in the church or those who claim to be Christian, do not believe that this sin that Adam committed was enough to send all the rest of humanity into sin. As well as the vast majority of those who claim to know Christ, say that even the smallest of sins is not worthy of eternal damnation. Wrong. It, it absolutely is. As we've talked about a little bit over the past couple of weeks, and even Sunday, we don't take God serious enough, nor lift Him high enough, nor do we understand how serious sin is. And we talked about that last Wednesday, looking at that. So are we born sinners and why? All right. First of all, we've dealt with this, but we're going to look at some Scripture in just a moment. I want to tell you this. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. All right? We get this backwards sometimes. I, I you hear these debates all the time, right? If, if society is bad, it's because good people then became bad, right? That's illogical. How do we have a bad society if people are naturally good? If people are naturally good, then that means, logically, that they naturally do what is right, what is just, what is pure, which would then lead to a pure, logical, righteous society. Do we live in such today? No, because people are not born good, doing good, or even naturally inclined to do good, but rather are born naturally inclined to do the opposite. We sin because we like sin. We sin because it's fun. We sin because we enjoy it. Now, let's not pretend and think, oh, I don't like sin, I just slip up every time. We do have some slip-ups, but guess what? The Bible tells us that it is our own lust in the book of James, chapter 1, that leads us into sin. It, we cannot blame God for sin. We cannot blame the devil for sin. And I know more Baptists today that blame their sin on the devil or, or their wife or anybody else. It is you, you and me. We are the reason why we sin. We are our greatest problems. Now, I want to begin tonight by taking uh, and turning over to Ephesians chapter number 2. And we're going to be looking at answering the why. Are, the, the what and the why. Are we born sinners? Yes. Why? All right, we're going to look at this. We're going to see, first of all, that each one of us are born that way. You were not born as much as your mama told you. You were a precious little angel. You were not. You were a viper in a diaper. All right? I've heard, I wish that was original. It's not. That's some good stuff. It'll preach, won't it? We think about this, though. We are born, we're born sinners. And we don't like that because that means there's something wrong with us. 
And yes, there's something wrong with us, and it's ingrained in us, which is why we have such a desperate need to fill that void, to fill that hole that is in our life that only Christ can fulfill. Now, look here, Ephesians chapter number 2, <clears throat> verse number 1. And you hath he quickened, right? This is the, the doctrine of, of regeneration, the doctrine of salvation here, right? It, it's saying, and you hath he given life to, you hath he, he, he made alive, he's breathed the breath of life into you. Praise God for that. But he says, you have been saved, right? You've been regenerated, you've been quickened together, who were dead and passed, right? You were dead in trespasses and sins. I believe that our sin nature is not just a mere sin sickness, but it is a sickness of death. It is that we are, are born dead in our sins and trespasses. It is here then he goes on, he's saying, where in time past he walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of power of the air, which we know as well is the satanic realm, uh, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, or idea of uh, our lifestyle in times past, in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So he makes it very clear here, right? And this is just one of many countless scriptures, Old and New Testament alike, that demonstrate our sinful condition that we're born into. Now, in verses 2 and 3, we find the three greatest enemies to us. And that is the world, the flesh, and the devil. We find the world there in time past. You walked according to the course of this world. The course of this world is not the course of God. It is the opposite of how God designed and desires things. The moment Adam sinned, the world is as if, you can imagine, now, now not literally, but here you can imagine, it goes from spinning properly to now it starts spinning the opposite direction, right? It, it goes from, uh, from what it's supposed to be to now it's no longer what it's meant to be, what it's designed to be, what it was meant to be for man. Because remember, Mankind, there in Genesis chapter 1, was the, the high point, the peak of creation. God made the world not only to demonstrate His glory, but to demonstrate His glory through these image bearers of which He creates, specifically that of Adam there in the garden. Then we find as well our enemy of the prince of power of the air, the devil, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience. The devil has from the beginning, according to John, has been seeking to be murderous and to be a liar and to be an accuser of the brother. This is who he is. This is what he does. He always had. He always will. The world is not for you. The devil is not for you, right? But here's what else. He says, and the lust of our flesh. Your flesh is not for you either. Just because it makes you feel good or makes you happy does not mean that it makes God feel good or make him happy. I want you to know that the greatest thing that you can ever do in your life is to glorify God, but there is no glorifying God when we fulfill the lust of our own flesh. However, what happens with the lust of our flesh and the fulfillment of, uh, of that leads to, to death, and destruction, division, a multitude of sicknesses and ailments and issues that we will experience in this world. We've got to understand our enemy here, but we've got to understand that from the very beginning, we were dead in trespasses and sins, guilty before God. And he says, we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There's many a people, many a person in this world who would like to think that, that uh, of this sort of universal fatherhood of God. That, that's not biblical. God is a father to those who have been adopted by the precious blood of Jesus. We are adopted into his family. We are literally, as Jesus puts it to Nicodemus, born again into his family. How can many be born again, right? 
Not by the flesh, not by this physical nature, but rather through the Spirit that we're born again into His family. Now we belong to Him. No longer do we belong to our, our old father, our old master, the devil. No longer do we serve our old masters, the flesh, and the world. But now we are not only servants to Christ our King, but we are joint heirs with Jesus, as Paul goes and continues on in Ephesians chapter 2, to tell us how we're already seated together in heavenly places, and that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, and the good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Why is salvation by grace through faith in Christ? Why is it not of yourself? Because we were dead in sins and trespasses. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to merit goodness or favor before God. There is nothing that we could ever offer God that goes, this should be enough, right? It's, it's like a, you think, think about this, you, being like a little kid and you don't have this sort of concept of money yet, and you walk up to, to the counter and you try to pay for a soda pop and some candy, and all you got is some lint and a button, and you found a penny, and you go, well, this should be enough, right? And they go, well, not quite, I'll take the penny. You can keep the lint and the button. Right? You and I, we think that in our goodness, that the world would call goodness, there is no goodness. The goodness that the world sees as goodness, the goodness that you and I find as goodness, before God it is as, as filthy rags. There is nothing we can offer to God <clears throat> to get our salvation. Rather, there has already been an offering made. And it's not by you, it's not by the hands of men. Rather, it is by the precious blood of Jesus. That offering has been made once and for all, for all those who come and call upon His name, shall be saved, he will in no wise cast out. This is the great truth of Scripture. That though there is sin, we see there in Ephesians 2, we find our condition there, but look in verse 4. I love it. I would be remiss to, to not go into verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, he loves the unlovable. He loves those who don't love him back. Because in your sins and trespasses, in your sinfulness, you don't love God. There is many, sadly many a people, who think that because someone is on drugs or, or addicted to anything, that they're, they're the ones that are going to just, oh man, they're going to burn, burn. We forget there's plenty a, a church lady and a church gentleman who have been in church their whole life who have gone through the motions and will also go to the same place. It is not based upon their goodness or anything like that because neither one has goodness. As a matter of fact, this person who's been in church for 80 years but never repented and trusted Jesus has the same amount of goodness as the drunk in the ditch. And that's none. This is why both the drunk in the ditch and the church lady who's 80, 90 years old, been in church forever, both have got to come to the realization that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. You know why salvation is so great? It's because we can't get it. If we could get it on our own, it wouldn't be so great. It's so great because Christ has done this work by the mercy of God on us. Mercy, excuse me, grace is a giving of something that we don't deserve. So what is mercy? Mercy is a withholding of what we do deserve. So there at Calvary, what we find is both grace and mercy bestowed. At your salvation, we find grace and mercy bestowed even before your salvation. Grace and mercy has been bestowed to you to get you to the place where you would hear the gospel, would repent of your sins, and would trust in Jesus alone, and that you would be gloriously born again. Furthermore, over in Romans chapter number 3, 
Romans chapter 3. Very familiar passage here. Are we born sinners? Yes. Why? We're going to look at that here. Romans 3 shows that there is not a single one that can get by. There's not a single one in the world who has ever been born, who has lived their life, that can ever stand before God and say, well, but God, I... Or, well, uh And there's many people who have said, well, you know, God is love. Yes, He is. So, you know, there won't be a judgment day. Or, or you know, when I stand before God, even though I, I've done bad things, He's going to overlook them because they weren't that bad. Right? Adam only ate a fruit. And messed it up for everybody. Disobedience is the key. And every one of us are born naturally disobeying. We don't have to teach little kids how to disobey, do we? Now, they're pretty good at it, aren't they? And then guess what? We stay that way, don't we? Right? No one had to teach us. Mom and Daddy didn't sit us down and say, all right, today I'm going to teach you how to chop logs and how to lie. It didn't happen, did it? No. No. We don't have to learn those lessons because we are naturally born doing that which is evil. Here, Romans chapter 3. By the way, just to help you out a little bit here. Romans, perhaps the greatest treatise that, that Paul has written, even outside of Scripture, Romans stands as a pinnacle of, of writing and what it means to argue and, and to show the truth. But in God's Word, this is such a tremendous mountaintop here that, that Paul does through the work of the Spirit. Romans chapter 1. Gentiles, right? Which means everybody that's not Jewish. Guilty before God. Boom. Chapter number 2. He says, oh, you, person born Jewish, right? Son, daughter of the covenant. You've been circumcised. You've gone through the law. You've done all these things. Guess what? Guilty too. You've got no excuse. You're just as guilty as chapter 1, Gentiles. Then he says chapter 3, which there's nobody else besides the two there, that the Jew and Gentiles. There's not any aliens or anything like that that he talks about to get to. Now, you can debate all that later on, but he doesn't talk about anyone else in Scripture. He says either Jew or Gentile. He says you're both guilty, chapter 1, chapter 2. In chapter 3, he says, in case you were wondering, all y'all's guilty. Everyone. Verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? Why does he say we? Paul's a Jew. He was born that way. But he was sent by God to go and to preach the gospel to not only the Jews, but to the Gentile world, so that what can be fulfilled in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And that's what the Lord did throughout uh, all, of, all of the church history. He says, No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. All under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Pop quiz. How many are righteous? None. Not even one, right? It reminds me of when Abraham is speaking to God and God is telling him he's about to go down there. He's going to send his angels down there to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Y'all remember that? All right? If not, we're going to get to it, okay? And you remember, Abraham then goes, well, what if there's this many in the city? You'll spare it? God says, sure. But there ain't that many. He gets down to where it starts from a big number down to, Lord, if there's like 10 of them in the whole city, and this is a big old place, 
God says, sure. But there ain't that many. What we find here, Jesus teaches this, the Old Testament teaches this, the New Testament teaches this, all of Scripture teaches this, because this is what God says, there are none righteous, no, not one. He says then, verse 11, there is none that understandeth. Let me ask y'all, pop quiz. How many understand? None. All right. Y'all are doing real good. Y'all are two for two. There's none to understand. Understand what specifically? Understand the spiritual things. The, the physical, carnal-minded person who does not know Christ, who has not been born again, who does not know the spiritual things, they cannot comprehend the spiritual things. I remember distinctly my dad in his, in his testimony talking about how that before he was saved, tried reading the Bible, and it made no sense whatsoever. Now granted, even after we're saved, we don't know all that there is to know. That's the beauty and the mystery of God's Word and how He's revealed Himself that we can't know everything. That's why I keep going back to it because every time I take a drink, there's more. There's more and there's fresh bread. But we see that when we are lost in our sins and trespasses, when we're dead in our sins and trespasses, we don't understand the things of God, nor can we. Third, he says in verse number 11 after that, there is none that seeketh after God. All right, pop quiz. How many seek after God? None. That's right. None. You say, why, why don't they seek? Wouldn't we say that the religious tree worshiper in the middle of the jungle somewhere is a seeker? No. God would call them an idolater. And they are held accountable. And this is why we have got to get the Gospel out. Not just by sending missionaries, but by being missionaries. Y'all know that we live in what's called the Bible Belt, right? Okay. When I went to, to college in Winston-Salem, which is like, it's like one of the notches in the belt, right? It's right there in the smack down the middle. And I remember being at the bus stop, bus station one day, and uh, we're, we're witnessing, we're, we're passing out tracks, trying to talk to people. Um, and I remember talking to a lady who was mid-20s at the time, I suppose, who did not know who Jesus was. She said, I've heard the name. I've seen it on signs before. You know, like the Jesus saved signs that you see in inner cities and things. But I don't, I don't know anything about Him. I said, well, do you know, do you know what He did? No. What, what can you tell me? I don't know. This is the Bible Belt. And we take for granted that everybody just knows. Not everybody knows. But they must there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. And we must preach Him. We must proclaim. He continues. And because He says here that there is none that seeketh after God, we, we don't seek because of our sinful condition. We seek our own flesh. Is really the idea here. He says in verse number 12, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Pop quiz. How many are gone out of the way? All. Alright, they are come together, become un they are together become unprofitable. How many are profitable? None. Okay. Don't sound too excited about it. How about this? Once more, in case you didn't get before. How many do good? None. No, not one. And then he goes to describe what that person's like. He says their throat is an open sepulchre. It's an open grave, is what it is what the idea is. Back then, when they would have an open grave, you'd start to stink. You'd start to smell the stink that's coming from out of that grave. Why? Because there's nothing but dead stuff inside of it. So what is he saying? 
He's saying the same thing that he talks about there in Ephesians 2. That if we're born dead in our sins and trespasses, that we come out, literally, we stink before God. Our, as he says, throat is an open sepulchre. He describes a throat, and he's going to describe some more lips and tongue and things, the way in which we speak, the way in which we live, uh, sort of all of who we are. From the inside out, it's not the outside in that makes us bad, it's the inside out. You ever heard the phrase, you're rotten to the core? Yeah, you're rotten to the core. <laughs> That's what he's getting at here. He says, uh, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. Because there is no peace without Christ. Verse 18, this is the key. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that the things uh, that that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Who's guilty before God? All the world. This should humble us, but this must also make us urgent to know that there is a literal world that does not know Jesus and will die without knowing Him and will stand before Him not clean and righteous, but rather as guilty forever. They need Christ. They need to hear the truth of the Gospel. But unfortunately, we often, even though we are saved, revert back to our old nature and use our lips and our tongue and our throat to produce that which is wicked, and we don't speak life of which they need to hear and which they need to know and believe. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. That's exactly what that means. But there is no difference. He says, if you're Jewish, you must be saved the same way. If you're Gentile, you must be saved the same way. It is through Christ and Christ alone. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sadly, what happens is we, we tend to think of that verse as that we have some sort of measuring step stool where some are a little bit higher than others, okay? That's not the case at all, right? This is the idea that if, if, we, if we, we look at this here, for all come short. This isn't talking about height, stature. This is talking about if these steps can get me to heaven, and if all i got to do is follow these steps, I can't get, I can't make it this far. Okay? What religion teaches is that we can make it pretty far and then we need grace to get us the rest of the way. I need grace to not get me to step one, but we go from here to up here like that. The moment you were born again, you don't go from step one of salvation, step two, now you're a little bit more saved, you got a better shot. Step three, now you're closer to salvation. It might be complete, we don't know yet, you're still working on it, you still don't know. And then step four, and hey, hey we think you got it, and then when you die, we'll find out, and the Lord will sift it out. And, and No. It is by grace that there has ever been a single soul saved. Here we find... As one commentator deals with this, he, he deals with this, especially early on in the, in the quote, 
He says, Adam chose the course of disobedience. We, for, we forget this. It wasn't that Eve comes along and says, Adam, you know, it's pretty good. You should really try it. He, he chose this. Adam chose. Why do you and I sin? Because we choose to sin. He says, corrupted himself by sin, became guilty in the sight of God, and as such subject to the sentence of death. And because he was the federal representative of the race, the human race, and by the way, there is only one race, and it is the human race. All right? There's different, different uh, color pigments of skin, but there's not different races. You are either the human race, or I don't know what you are. All right? Human beings. Image bears. Now, because he was the federal representative of the race, his disobedience affected all his descendants. Uh, imagine this, right? How many of y'all got bad genetics from your family history? Am I the only one? Y'all got to tell me your family history, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not your doctor here. <laughs> but think about this, though. Most of us, we've got bad genetics, bad family history, right? Cancer runs, this runs, that runs, this runs. Ultimately, though, in every single human being, we've all got bad genetics, don't we? We're all born sinners, and we're all born going to die and go to hell because we choose ourselves over Christ. We choose to obey our flesh and our lust over obedience to the Lord. He continues, he says, In His righteous judgment, God imputes the guilt of the first sin committed by the head of the covenant to all those that are federally related to Him. That's you and I. And as a result, they are born in a depraved and sinful condition as well, as Ephesians 2 told us, dead in sins and trespasses. And this inherent corruption also involves guilt. That we're guilty before God. This doctrine explains why only the first sin of Adam and not his following sins, nor the sins of other forefathers, is imputed to us and also safeguards the sinlessness of Jesus, for he was not just a human person, therefore uh, not in the covenant works. Jesus is God. Completely God, always has been, always will be. Jesus did not sin. Therefore, this is why He is the perfect sacrifice. Where we have the first Adam in the garden and in the place that He was supposed to fulfill and to know God and to keep the garden pure, not through making the grass look good, but through obedience to the Lord. And we only had one thing to obey the Lord of, by the way. Don't eat of just that one tree. Don't eat that tree. Everything else is for you. He fails. Christ, the second and better Adam, is perfect in obedience, even humbly obeying the Father, even unto the cross. So then the second question arises. He, I'm looking at my clock here. <laughs> Anybody like me ever read the Bible and ask questions? All the time. All the time. I have a question here, and I saved it for last for a reason. Why is Satan and sin allowed to enter, enter the garden? Anybody ever wanted that before? Anybody ever gone? God's all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. How do we even let this happen? You know, it's the same question, though, that many who don't know the Lord, and they say, if God is so good... Why do bad things happen? The questions are wrong. God is good. Not if God is good. God is good. And bad things happen because of sin. 
you might then ask the question, well, how come he didn't just keep them from it? There's something greater here, and we're going to stop tonight. I'm going to leave you all kind of on a cliffhanger. I'm sorry. Unless you all want me to keep going. (laughs) Get extra credit. I don't know. We have to understand that with this, there is a tremendous amount of mystery. I'd love to tell each one of you the exact chapter, verse, definition, reason as to why God allowed Satan in the garden to tempt Eve and why sin happened in the first place. But I do know this. Although God is completely sovereign, He absolutely allowed the free will of Adam to choose if he would serve Him or not in the garden. Adam's choice was Adam's choice. Your choice is your choice. My choice is my choice. And I want to thank God. And this is where we're going to end. I want to thank God that His choice was to look down from eternity to eternity and to see that Adam would fail. But that within the triune, thrice holy God, Jesus Christ, the Son, I'll go. Jesus would come at the right time, the right place, fulfill every prophecy that of, of His coming, would be the one who as the moment sin comes in, grace does as well. And in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Savior Jesus Christ is promised. I don't know why. And I don't know how long it took for Adam to sin neither, because that's the other big question. I don't know. Might have been a day. Might have been a year. Might have been about half a second. I don't know. But I do know this. God is faithful and good to those who are not good, nor are they faithful. And I want to rest my head trusting that God knows because I know He does. And because God knows and just because He does know does not mean that I have to know. I don't have to have every answer for every reason. And I believe that we do ourselves some injustice by trying to rationalize the things that are eternal that came from the mind of an all-ever-present, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Next week, we're going to pick up and we're going to see a couple of things as to perhaps why. But ultimately, I leave you with this. Everything from the beginning, dawn of creation, to the day the trumpet blows, and God's people shall dwell with Him forever, and He shall dwell with them. All things are to the glory of God. May we never forget that perhaps the most terrifying thing that is known in all of human history, that cruel cross, where Jesus our Lord suffered, bled, and died for our sins and, and literally became our sin, became accursed for us. That in so doing, God the Father is glorified. I can't fathom. I can't fathom the imputation of sin. I cannot as well fathom that my sinful soul is now counted free. For God the just is satisfied 
to look on Him and pardon me. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for this night. God, grateful that we can look at Your Scripture. And God, while we see in these passages that we looked at tonight, God, that we are certainly born sinful, wicked, guilty before You, but through the precious blood of Christ, repentance and faith in, in what He has done for us, God, that there is salvation available to all who would repent and believe, and we thank You for that. God, we have seen the evidence in our own lives. We've seen that, that in the lives of others, even this week. God, that You are mighty to save. Lord, help us to not dwell on our past sin, but rather to live in the victory that is found in Jesus. Lord, that in all things, though we may not understand Your mind, for Lord, who can be and who has been Your counselor? Who has given You advice? Who has told you what to do? Who? who, Or none. Lord, we can't. Lord, you are God and we are not. Help us to trust and obey. Lord, as we go from this place, I, I pray for safety. I pray for instruction. I pray for wisdom. I pray for guidance. I pray that each one of us, God, would be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.